You're listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting, a series that draws on the experience of experts to unearth the principles of personal and team leadership. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us. Welcome to Inside Healthy Teams, a podcast designed to help leaders build healthy organisations. A key priority for organisations is building engagement and to create purpose-driven organisations to help play their role in addressing social issues. In today's world, particularly even more so right now, companies must connect company success with social progress. Along with CSR programs, which have been running for many, many years, one of the main ways businesses are achieving this today is by developing shared value programs. Our discussion today will focus on the purpose and success of a particular shared value program to a number of corporate organisations and a not-for-profit, and also in conversation with representatives from the university sector to help organisations become more inclusive and build engagement for their stakeholders. Our panel today will share some insights in terms of what has made a successful shared value partnership and provide us as listeners insights into how other people can drive healthy organisations and build uh, strong partnerships in this space. Today we are joined by the CEO of AbilityWorks, Sue Boyce, Paul Ashby, who's the service group leader of Land and Water and Jack of All Trades. Transurban Sustainable Procurement Manager, Deepan Samaya, and Dr. Kevin Argus, who's lecturer, design thinking and marketing expert at RMIT Graduate School of Business and Law. And I'm James Natsis from Apricot Consulting and your host today. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks, James. Well, today, as we discuss the topic of shared value and how it meets social need, clearly, organizations have been doing CSR for some time. And I guess a question to Kevin from your research and your expertise is how does CSR differ from shared value? Well, James, that's a a really good question because corporate social responsibility has been with us and the concept of triple bottom line has been with us for some time. What shared value? It's a business framework whereby a corporate organisation partners with a social enterprise as part of their valued supply chain. So this enables them to collaborate in a process of doing social good. Now, a core difference here is including social enterprise in the supply chain as a partner, which differentiates the value from um, social value models. So just to briefly explain some of those differences, Supply chain partnering enables collaboration and co-creation between partners to ensure sustainability of the relationship. So this addresses a key problem faced by many social enterprises, which is sustainable, ongoing, reliable work for their labour force, which, as we know, is linked to having positive mental health outcomes, financial security, and being able to live a better life. So it enables an ongoing employment, not temporary. It forms a relationship rather than being transactional, whereas traditional CSR activities are effectively philanthropy in an area related to business activities. So this doesn't address sustainability of work, but it might be related to social causes such as a commitment to modern slavery laws 
suppressing child labour in supply chains and other social cause marketing activity. So the relationships are maybe a bit stronger than pure philanthropy, yet they don't necessarily provide sustainable work through advocacy, advocacy groups such as social enterprises. Um, and when you look at pure philanthropy, it's more like the, the volunteering of labour and time and resources. And many organisations do this, but they do it potentially on a program basis. So it doesn't have that sustainability insurance for those that we're trying to provide for, which are ultimately the particular um, labour groups that are needing support. Um, and in times of economic downturn, um, both philanthropy and CSR activities are easier ties to sever. Whereas if you have an embedded supply chain relationship, which is core to your value proposition to your um, end user customers, that you're collaborating, partnering with deeply, then that's really part of, of your core business. And so you will co-create and collaborate to enable an ongoing sustainable relationship. Um, we know state governments, you know, in Victoria are deeply committed to social outcomes as part of, you know, this enormous infrastructure project spend um, that we're seeing. And ideally governments are seeking ways to ensure that social value is sustainable beyond the life of projects. So embedding, so embedding social enterprise into supply chains enables this to occur. And I guess what's in it for the large organisations? Well, you know, there's this, this uh, risk with CSR that it seemed to be inauthentic. So by embedding in the supply chain and being able to demonstrate a, an authentic connection to real outcomes, it becomes an authentic story that the brand is able to be attached to. Um, and then, then it really, if you like it, it serves one of the key purposes of that framework, which is to enable sustainable competitive advantage. We can certainly see in this COVID, these COVID times, there's a great sense of, you know, what is transparency? What is trust in institutions and, and corporations? And I think what we're going to see is this, this move towards more transparent, authentic, open um, awareness of what the nature of relationships are in business and what value they are providing downstream. And I think this provides a framework for that to occur. Around government, again, we know that businesses that the government are using as part of their framework of procurement to um, ensure that some of the value of those tender projects um, is serving uh, social outcomes. And again, this framework is a great way to ensure that it has sustainability and longevity as opposed to just being for the length of the project. Terrific, Kevin. Thank you for that summary. Uh, one of the key words you mentioned was sustainability. And I guess really keen to draw out from our partners who are represented today. Talking, talking firstly to Sue, and as you considered sustainability but shared value in general, what were you seeking to find in one of these partnerships in particular? Hmm. So AbilityWorks' need for a shared value project arises from our social mission and our aspirations to provide long-term meaningful employment to people in the community with a disability or those experiencing disadvantage. So we currently employ 140 people and our goal is to double that number in, say, two to three years. We, we don't currently have all the resources or the expertise uh, to achieve this goal, so hence the need for shared value partners. 
Terrific. And talking to two of our great corporate partners in Transurban and Oricon, if we start with Paul, from an Oricon perspective, what were you looking to derive from a shared value partnership? Thanks, James. So uh, at Oricon, I guess uh, we are committed to diversity and inclusion and we are committed by supporting uh, goals and uh, such as gender equality, Indigenous culture, um, Oricon pride and LGBTI communities. And I guess Oricon sees working with Oricon as the next evolution of the journey. I think also what what is particularly important is Oricon is largely an engineering and, and a consulting-based organisation. As engineers, we're very keen on uh, trying to help and assist our communities. We want to shape and, and uh, design uh, a better future for our communities and we're very keen to leave a legacy. So from an Oricon perspective, we, we didn't necessarily need to, to be involved in a shared value program, but we could clearly see that working with AbilityWorks uh, in a shared value project would assist uh, AbilityWorks, but would also be aligned with our cultural. Deepin, from a transurban perspective, looking into the, the needs and desires and, and what you were looking to get from the partnership also, what, what, what were some of the key thoughts there? Thanks, James. So I think from, from our point of view, when we look at this, and I, I want to build upon some of the key points made by Kevin earlier in, in this session, um, when we look across the eastern seaboard in particular, there's a clear increasing trend for engagement of social enterprises across um, our industry. And in particular, if you look at infrastructure um, industry and the pipeline for construction across Australia. So Transurban has operations across Australia, the US and Canada, but we have a very large, at present, a very large construction pipeline that's in train. And to give an example of that, as we speak, or in FY19, for example, we spent $1.85 billion in the, in the, in the marketplace. So that's a lot of money and a very large pipeline of construction that's occurring uh, in real time. So when we look at a company like AbilityWorks, they're a, they're a key plank in us and uh, social procurement outcomes that we're looking to see. And they've been a partner with us at Transurban for a very long time. And we saw a convergence of a couple of different factors. We saw that AbilityWorks um, was in a situation where they wanted to pivot into the infrastructure construction marketplace due to the kind of spend that you're seeing and kind of changes that we're seeing in the industry, but they had not done that before. So they were in a situation where they were looking to um, rise to this new challenge, this new opportunity, and were looking for support and, and skill sets to complement their existing um, strengths to get to an, a successful long-term outcome. And from our point of view, there's a clear benefit because we have this enormous pipeline of activity and a need in the marketplace to be fulfilled with social enterprises. And I guess the support that we can provide to develop and um, grow companies like AbilityWorks directly helps us achieve those outcomes. So there's a very clear cor correlation there. And that doesn't even talk about the, 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 the benefits of, from positive employment outcomes from these kind of projects. So we see this as a really excellent fit where you've got a, a great company like AbilityWorks that has, you know, they're a great existing supplier of ours. They've got a very clear purpose and they're a very purpose-driven organisation as Sue has already talked about. And we see this as a great way of strengthening um, our existing supply base to meet these, these uh, really interesting times and these really interesting challenges that are kind of uh, coming, coming across the construction industry in particular at this point in time. Mm, a really big push there and in integrating supply chains and that sustainability point is 
that that Kevin mentioned earlier is sort of drawn out again in that scenario. Let's talk briefly around some of the pillars of what makes a successful shared value program uh, that will actually drive some of the value. Uh, There are a number of key pillars as we look at the shared value program and they're effectively designed on a couple of key uh, insights and the first one's clearly a a business case. Most organisations uh, are really intentional about ensuring that the, the business case stacks up from that perspective. Uh, and then they're also about making sure there's a healthy partnership because when, you know, if you think about a marriage or a relationship, you want to be able to partner with an organisation that you have similar values with. Uh, as some of the guys have already mentioned, Paul called that out. From an Oricon perspective, aligning their DNI program with their broader desire to drive engagement and then finding a partner that, are, that uh, is obviously in disability space and that aligns with their values and their narrative for the organisation. So the partnership becomes important, culture. And then, of course, the competencies. What are the value, what are the services that each partner is going to provide, whether that be an in-kind service, broader skill sets and mindsets. Uh, The governance itself becomes important. Uh, The governance meaning who's tracking the program, who's driving accountability of the program, who's ensuring that partners play their role on time uh, and on budget, let's say. Uh, and then, of course, the insights. Uh, what are we learning? Are we, are we succeeding together? How do we continue to build uh, greater value to ensure that all partners derive value from it? Deepin, from, from your perspective, as you've considered the program, um, as you look at some of these practically, how have you seen some of these things manifest out? Yes, yeah, so I think there's a couple of key points that um, really, really important if anyone's looking to um, embark on this journey and and to understand some key kind of pillars or concepts of, of this uh, of this model. So one of the key things that we we spend a lot of time, so, and this this may sound very simple, but in fact a lot of effort was put in to make sure that a lot of work was put in to understand the foundation of the the partners. So picking your partners f- first and foremost is so important because. Ultimately, if this is going to be a long-term successful outcome, you kind of it's like any sort of a relationship that you could look at. You need to understand each other's strengths, weaknesses, uh, and really know what, what we're getting ourselves into for each party, not, not just for Transurban or for Oricon or for Billy. Each one of us has to look at the, the kind of um, each other's strengths and weaknesses and understand what we want to get into and what we want to see come out the other side. So one of the key things is to that we established very early on, which I think was critical in the success of this project so far, was a clear buy-in from all of our top management. Um, so that, that for example, could have included uh, our exco, our boards. Uh, it could have included other senior executives across the organisation to make sure that, number one, they understood why we were doing this, and number two, understood what we're hoping to achieve out of this from a, from a business outcomes point of view. And again, touching upon some of the, the key points, this isn't philanthropy. This is a situation where we're going to get outcomes for each party. So having that objective really clear, getting the buy-in from top management, and then actually moving forwards with a measured approach with governance sitting around it, which for us meant regular workshops, regular uh, touch base uh, sessions, a tracking sheet, and a a, a formal steer code sitting around the actual program overall was critical to success. And that's actually kind of how you'd run any kind of project or any kind of program. So a lot of the fundamentals were were pretty, pretty standard in that way. But having, you know, basically a set of external partners uh, coming together to achieve this joint objective was so important. And the only other point I'd make is what we've already seen, what we're hoping to see when we started this project and what we've already seen is these kind of programs 
have such a powerful ability to change society fundamentally in terms of the outcomes that we're seeing already. And on top of that, build advantages for each of the members. So it's actually quite an amazing outcome and a quite amazing um, sort of results that we've already seen at this early stage where uh, each party can, can clearly demonstrate that they've got value out of this program, but we're also showing a fundamental positive impact to society through this program, which is quite amazing. Paul, from your perspective, from an Oricon view, how have you seen these pillars manifesting as well from, from your perspective? Sure, thanks, James. I, I guess, unsurprisingly, my, my answer will be much the same and uh, will mirror the deepens, but uh, there's a few key key points and, and a few key messages. In terms of the, of the pillars, I guess at the outset, it's really important to discuss and understand and then define what value each party brings to the table and what do the benefits actually are. So looking forward, you know, what do we actually want to achieve? Um, and that's the obvious answer. But the, the, the next point, I guess, is really important, which is what the Deepen uh, touched on. It's about the need to appreciate up front how much uh, time and effort you need to input into the exp exploration stage. Uh, so to understand what each partner brings to the table, what, each, what the culture of each partner has and how they're aligned, what the strengths and weaknesses are, um, taking time up front to do that is crucial, but also don't underestimate how much time and effort is, is required uh, uh, with that. Uh, clearly, each, organize, or each organization and the, and the teams need to be committed to the program. So it can't be a, a half in, a half out. You need to be 100% committed and you need to have strong leadership around that. And I guess the the next step to that, again, the deep and touched on that, it's about having senior leadership support or exco support. So at Oricon, uh, not only do we have a you know a, a like-minded cohort that's driving this shared value uh, project, but that's supported by a regional uh, director across um, SA and Victoria. It's supported by our ANZ leader, and it's uh, also uh, supported by our chief executive. So I think to have that support, that oversight is, is really, really important. And then the last point, I guess, also, again, that as Adeepan touched on, it's about being able to track and measure the benefits and the progress. So it's, it's one thing to actually come together and define where you want to get to and what you think that the benefits are, but it's just critical along the journey that you're actually tracking that progress and making sure that we are being held accountable for each of our organisations and as a collective as well. Some excellent insights there, Paul, and uh, can't belabor the point enough around that exec buy-in and that management buy-in, and certainly that's been across this project. And uh, that actually then goes into uh, our next question, which uh, as we look at this and we look at the setup, uh, how are we going today? Are we getting any benefit out of it? So I thought we'd kick this off this question of benefit to Sue and this partnership's been going for some months now. Uh, what are some of the benefits that you're seeing? And that's been based on their expertise and capabilities. So Transurban has been a customer of AbilityWorks since 2011. AbilityWorks manages Transurban's national mail and check-in sort returned e-tags. And we process about 500 to 1,000 e-tags a day. Now this employs seven people with a disability every day of the year. 
So by purchasing from us, Transurban are contributing to our goal of job creation. Um, and because they've been a customer of AbilityWorks since 2011, they've added their credibility behind AbilityWorks um, with infrastructure players. So that's given them confidence to potentially to, to buy from us. And you know, that, that's creating additional jobs. Um, Transurban also went out to their supply chain, encouraging their suppliers to procure from us. And one of those suppliers was the Oricon Group. And that was a nice uh, strategic alignment because AbilityWorks has an engineering facility. Oricon is a first-year engineering design firm. So when we first started, Oricon wasn't a customer of AbilityWorks, they, but, but they still chose to engage with us and they engaged with us with, by helping build our operations, supporting skill development, leadership training. We were invited to Oricon's leadership training and development days. Uh, so they helped us with capacity building. But then because the two organisations are, are genuinely committed to AbilityWorks, they got involved with our strategy development. Oricon provided a skilled strategy facilitator. They understood um, exactly what we were trying to achieve. And it ended up with um, the Oricon group suggesting a new business unit where they could use our employees to input into facilities design and audits on a consulting basis. So we've just started working with them on this project and uh, it's been absolutely wonderful to have a potential customer inputting into our strategy development and it's just going, I, I know it's going to just result in tremendous value. But all partners, including Apricot Consulting, have introduced us to people within their networks, which has been very helpful. Uh, and that's led to the introduction to RMIT University and uh, Kevin and using executive MBA students to input into AbilityWorks marketing strategy, thereby adding you know, depth and breadth of thought. So um, numerous benefits. And since we've started the program, we have employed an additional 20 to 25 people with the additional work that we have um, prior to coronavirus, of course. But um, yeah. Wow. Paul, from an Oricon perspective, what, what are some of the benefits that you've seen? Thank you, uh, James. So I guess there's a number of lenses to, uh, to look through this. There's the, uh, the micro and the macro. Sue's touched on a lot of the micro uh, 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 projects, I guess, where we have helped out and uh, with Sue, and they include the review of the business and strategic planning and developing a shared vision. It's included uh, the developing uh, leadership and mentor skills across both the businesses. Uh, we've been involved in, in reviewing master plans for AbilityWorks at the current location and, and reviewing redevelopment opportunities to try and increase their uh, capacity on site. Uh, and we've been trying to work with AbilityWorks more generally about trying to en enhance their learning and development opportunities and their, their training opportunities. So th those types of skills and those types of projects, I guess, we've, we've brought to the table because they not only assist AbilityWorks, but they help our team members gain a better understanding uh, uh, of, of new clients that they can work with. So it, it enhances their skills. But the other aspect as well is about, you now we, we have commenced a research project 
with Ability Works, which is around uh, designing for all abilities on major projects. So what we're trying to do is you know, making sure that we can extend, extend our design uh, expertise and recognising that you know, we, we, when we are designing, whether it be a train station, a tram stop, uh, a commercial building, residential premises, that we are taking into account people of all abilities and we're, we're not just looking at able-bodied individuals or, or teams. So, so that's more at a micro, uh, at a macro, I guess, again, uh, a few key points there. The number one, you know, from an Oricon perspective, it's about enhancing our skills uh, and making us a better a designers and then allowing their, and therefore allowing us to uh, design better outcomes for the community. Uh, we're interested and also obviously invested in, us, in assisting AbilityWorks to help them succeed in their enterprise. And finally, and finally, I think this whole concept of uh, social procurement uh, across state governments is a relatively new concept. So we're very keen to continue to work with the state government and, and try and refine the process and, and the requirements of this process as we all, all learn and we all mature. So that's an overview, James. Well, that's pretty expansive. Uh, Deepen, from your perspective at Transurban, what are you seeing as some of the benefits? I think from our side, to complement the, the comments already made, it, it's actually quite simple from our point of view because, as we've talked about, AbilityWorks is an existing supplier to us. So by the, by the single, by simple fact that Stu, and, the, and she's already talked about the work that she's done to grow and the benefits she's seen in terms of additional employment, additional growth, new customers, that, that fact alone means that her business is stronger and more robust. And that fundamentally is fantastic for us as, as Transurban because we now have a, a direct supplier, which is, a, as I said before, a key, key pillar, key plank in our social procurement strategy, who is stronger and more, um, you know, more willing to expand into new areas of business, which is fundamentally is a fantastic thing for us. But to, to support that and grow, grow that further is that they're obviously pivoting into an industry which is critical to us as well, obviously being infrastructure. So now we have a situation where uh, even indirectly, where we have contracts with um, some of our larger subcontractors that need social procurement outcomes as well, we now have a supplier that, uh, another supplier that can actually do work in the space as well and, and do it very well. So there's an indirect and a direct benefit to us in terms of um, the outcomes that are being shown from this piece of work. And probably the kind of icing on the cake for me personally, if I can share this as a personal um, outcome was relatively recently I went to a Victorian government um, uh, event or as a Rhodes Australia event with Victorian government talking about some, some of the major projects happening across the state and in that talk um, they actually decided to talk about social outcomes that were coming out of some of their projects uh, which are direct government projects not to, not linked to Transurban directly and they decided to showcase um, Sue and the work she's done at AbilityWorks as a case study and from my point of view that's fantastic because you're you're literally showing the outcomes of how AbilityWorks is now being recognised at a completely independent event as a competent and a valued supplier in the infrastructure network. And there was, you know, a whole host of executives at this um, event from right across the whole industry that were exposed to this piece of information around Sue and what she's been doing. And hopefully that'll lead to even more opportunities for her and her business in the future. So again, it's just like a situation where uh, things continue to get better and we're seeing more and more uh, impressive outcomes come out of this um, piece of work. 
Terrific. So significant benefits across all partners and certainly seeing the benefit of this uh, at, at multiple uh, ways and multiple facets. Just sort of coming to the end of our podcast today, uh, I'm looking for a quick top tip. Some of our listeners are probably asking the question, they're looking at embarking on a project like this or maybe seeing the merit of it. What would your advice be? If we could just it down to a top tip, uh, Sue, Paul and Deepin, what would that be? Sue, what would you think would, uh, would be a top tip that you would give to listeners today who are looking to embark on a shared value type project? I think it needs to be a, a long-term commitment that's strategically aligned with, or, with other organisations that share your values uh, because to bring about social change, it, it's not an overnight um, goal. It's, it's something you have to work on for many years. Deepan, how would you, from your perspective and your experience and taking the lens of Transurban and to a listener right now is asking the same question of what, what other tips would we have? Sue's obviously outlined, outlined already to just take a long-term perspective. What are some other insights that you might put forward? Top I think at a, at a very practical level, um, first thing we talked about the relationship side, but I think to add to that is the, pick the people that are going to be working this area very carefully. Like ideally what you want is a group of people that are very passionate and very uh, very keen to see outcomes because this is a road which is, at this point in time, is relatively new. So people aren't necessarily, um, you know, experienced in this area. So this is relatively new for all, all people, I think. And um, having people that have the passion, they're willing to put in the, the extra effort to get there is so important. Uh, and the other thing is that I think one of the lessons I learned through this, this last couple of months in particular was, you know, and I think we did this pretty well, but reflecting upon it is to avoid the temptation of rushing into particular activities or projects at the outset. Uh, we spent an enormous amount of time and resource to get the foundations right first. And again, if you think about the fact that this is still relatively new for business, these kind of shared value outcomes, if you don't have that strong foundation, then you're not going to get uh, a very, very clear outcome and a good outcome at the other side. So avoid that rush of, oh, well, that looks like a good idea. Let's just go and run with that. And we actually took many, many steps back along the way and said, actually, hang on, why are we doing this? Is this the right approach? What's the benefit? Is this actually meet our initial objectives and so forth? So that temptation is always going to be there, but um, make sure you check that temptation and make sure you you get that foundation really solid before you launch into uh, the specific projects. Yeah, it certainly builds on something Paul raised earlier around the courtship or the discovery phase, making sure you're doing the groundwork early to ensure that who you're partnering with is going to drive that outcome. Paul, any other insights that you'd want to share from, from your uh, as a top uh, tip to, li- to our listeners? Sure. Look, uh, the only thing I'd, I would add, uh, which is bringing both what Sue and Deepin have said and also, James, what you've said is that, and, and you use the term courtship, which I think is perfect. Uh, I don't think you can spend too long up front uh, working through whether your potential partners are passionate individually, whether you're aligned culturally and that they're in it for the right reasons. So I think you know, that a discovery phase, exploration phase, that courtship is really important uh, to make sure that, uh, that you are aligned. I think once you get that base, you know, you're often running after that. Terrific. Now, our last 
question today goes to back to Kevin, who is our resident thought leader on the topic of uh, shared value. And perhaps if we broaden this question, because uh, many of our listeners are impacted and certainly many industries right now uh, are impacted by coronavirus. Uh, some, even just in Australia alone, in the last few weeks, we've had some 800,000 people register for job seeker alone. Taking the concepts of shared value and looking at large corporates, not-for-profits, small businesses, is there anything that we could learn and leverage as we think about this window of time that we're in, Kevin, that could be useful for us considering as we draw out some of these concepts and that the topic that you raised earlier around sustainability and our shared value may support that? Absolutely. I think um, for us at RMI, we're seeing that, um, that, as Deepin pointed out, this is relatively new. So Michael Porter had come up, but it hasn't really progressed um, in a big way. When you look for examples, um, some, but, but not that many. So I think some of the sense of opportunity rest around taking a human-centred approach. Um, as Deepin, Paul and Sue were mentioning, it requires parties to come together and reimagine what a supply chain could look like with the particular capabilities that they're, they're, they're dealing with. Um, I think in the post-COVID uh, uh, context, we're hearing um, governments talk about moving forward that what they've identified through the crisis is larger organisations are often better equipped to survive tumultuous times and change than smaller organisations. And so there's this sense of government interest in how um, some sort of partnering or assistance could occur. I've looked at the framework and together with students as we're ideating around this particular project between Transurban, Oricon and uh, AbilityWorks, we see that what they have is a capability, a core capability around um, this intention to co-create and, and collaborate we know that Oricon as a partner is very much entrenched in centered design. I think that is, is really good in this example. Moving forward, I think that shared value can provide perhaps a vehicle through which large organisations can provide smaller organisations that links to sustainability and assurance. So if I take an example and we just sort of looked into a crystal ball and said, you know, we've had this challenge in construction um, in Australia and, and really throughout the world around quality, safety and assurance of delivery based on what is promised. And what we've seen is there's been a breakdown in terms of um, a philosophy of being driven by cost alone has caused massive substitution along the way, which has had negative outcomes in terms of the quality of construction, building uh, and outcomes, which extend to social outcomes. So by creating partnerships with supply channel partners, we might have a vehicle through which we can obviate um, this trust in supply channel partners to do the right thing, because the supply channel partners won't be incentivized by merely trying to race to the bottom in terms of cost and substitution, which we've seen in building and construction, but might um, be incentivized to invest in core capability to grow and sustain their business 
is and enable the, the the major contractors who win government contracts to better on the promise of providing not only what is what the project is delivering as a as an asset, but also to deliver in terms of its its social contract, in terms of its contribution to society. And as you see from this project, that also entails um, uh, benefits to all members of society. I think talking to, um, might have been deep and earlier in an interview we did for the student project, um, it was this idea of, you know, any job, anybody philosophy um, in transurban. I think that's a great philosophy. And part of the tenement of shared value is it needs to be led from the CEO down and it needs to become part of the brand DNA. And so in this post-COVID time, as I think there's going to be a lot of reimagining, I think we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, just keep chasing this philosophy of cost-driven economics because essentially it's, it's proven to, to have failing. Um, I think what we've seen in terms of the response to COVID has been very much a view of how do we, you know, we're in this together. We are all part of a society and it's an opportunity to perhaps reimagine what view of contribution of government, corporations, small businesses and all of us collective, collectively provide as part of we contribute to economic and social outcomes. Well, there's a lot in that, uh, but the key point that you raised there, there's significant opportunities for, co for companies to come together right now and look for these synergies, look for these opportunities to, to support really the outcomes of our, this country in Australia, but more broadly around the world uh, and to take some of these concepts. Well, thank you to our presenters today. Thank you to Kevin from RMIT, Paul from Oricon, Deepen from Transurban, Sue from MobilityWorks. Thank you to their companies and thank you to the great work that these companies and organisations in terms are doing to drive sustainability, not just for their organisations, but for the world, really. Uh, thank you to our listeners today and thank you for joining us on Inside Healthy Teams. Thanks for listening to Inside Healthy Teams by Apricot Consulting. We hope you found it helpful. And if you did, it would help us if you could rate and review this episode on your podcast platform and subscribe for more episodes. For more information, go to apricotconsulting.us.